stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. I'm so grateful for yet another great introduction from my friend, Laura DiBenedetto. Um, she introduced me to our guest today, Diane Hoffman. And listeners, you are in for a treat today. As soon as I met this woman, I knew she was going to have stories that were going to really get us going um, and probably uncover some of your own stories told from a different perspective. So Diane, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Sarah, it's great to be here. I, I love just what you're up to with stories. It really helps people just see what's the patterns and things in their lives. And I think it's just awesome what you're up to. Thank you. It is kind of amazing how um, those patterns start to uh, be more clear to us after we start sharing our stories with intention. So um, that's part of why I was so interested in speaking with you because of how you tell your stories. Uh, let's start where I always start, which is I would love for you to share with our audience something about yourself that they wouldn't see in your bio or your resume or on your LinkedIn profile something that give will give our listeners a little insight into who you are outside of what we talk about in more depth. Yeah. So uh, when I was actually retiring from the police department, I uh, became the liaison between a uh, friend of mine where her seven-year-old daughter had been uh, kidnapped and subsequently murdered. And so I was a liaison between the police department and her family. And I was part of the team that led the largest uh, volunteer effort to help find uh, a child nationwide. And it was our group that had actually found her. And that was my last case um, with the department. And I'll never forget the date she was taken. It was 020202. And there were so many things, uh, you know, you talk about the weave of one story in your life, one experience and the impact that that has. I mean, anywhere from, you know, the safety that felt they lived a mile from my home. My daughters were still very young. Uh, the impact it had on my personal family, on our community, um, how I looked at life. And there were a lot of of things that happened in terms of me coming out of a, a unhealthy relationship to actually having the seeds uh, that led to my business. Wow. Wow. That sounds awful. I mean, right. really awful. Yeah. It's like so, the nightmare from a parent, right? Yeah, of course. And I watch too many detective shows and that is often the storyline. Um, so I'm really curious I understand why you became the liaison because it was your friend and you were a nearly retired police officer. I'm curious when the moment was where you figured out how to 
balance that? Like, was there a moment where you had to talk to your friend, the mother, that you just had to separate yourself? Uh, in in terms of what, when you say balance and and talking mm-hmm. to her, what um, what are you asking? Well, I think in terms of as a coach in a, a much lighter, even though it gets very deep in a much lighter situation, there are times where I feel my empathy muscles working too hard and I can't, I can't necessarily be a problem solver or a good listener when I feel too much. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to set uh, an internal boundary. So I'm observing with my empathy rather than absorbing with my empathy. And I can only imagine I'm, I, and I have a follow-up question, like when you were able to do that, kind of what that meant to you. And then afterward, how you recovered from it. Yeah. If, if you can. Right. Well, I think that um, there's many layers to that. Definitely. And I think that when it comes to when you're doing police type work, and even though I knew, you know, this was my, my friend, right. And this is her daughter. I knew her daughter. I had just seen her a week before, right. Um, that I, you, you put yourself in that detective mode, right. You revert to your training. You're like, okay, what do we need to do next? Like where, you know, we're setting up grids. We're finding out, you know, where could she have been last? You know, there's, there were so many multiple things going on because there was the investigation of the police department that was happening. And then there was this big volunteer effort of people who wanted to help, right? People actually drove and came from all over just to help because it pulled the heartstrings of so many people of this, this young child that had been, been taken. So, uh, you know, I was in kind of full police mode, but also there was this, this personal, you know, aspect of it and, uh, in wanting to find her and, and be able to help, you know, my friend, um, one of the things that um, was interesting is I was so emerged in it. I was there because uh, it took us three weeks to find her. Right. So there was a lot of time where I was, you know, there, there were, you know, uh, interviews that were happening. There was, you know, different clues that were coming in. There was a lot that was happening all at once. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is there was um Subsequently, at the same time, I was in a, in a really unhealthy relationship. And this is part of, I think, what happens, you know, around like your environment when you see so much negativity. And, you know, when I was working patrol as well as undercover, right, you'd see so many um, challenging things that you don't always recognize what's happening in your own space because it doesn't seem as bad. Right. And it doesn't seem right. Right. You rationalize it. Right. Right. And so I had some of that separation. So during the time I actually had gotten a call from, from uh, my boyfriend at the time. And he was just like, uh, you know, you need to just come home and, and make dinner. It was this disconnect, right? Right. It's like, you know, this disconnect of what was happening. And I'm just like, you know, what's happening. You know what this case is, you know, what's going on. I said, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys are are pretty capable of making dinner and, and getting some things done. And he's like, no, you need to get home right now. And it was almost like this. It was a defining moment because it's like, I felt like everything just kind of stopped and I had this clarity and I just said, you know what? you and I've gone back and forth. There's, there's been a lot of issues uh, in our relationship, you know, just many, too many to even mention here. And I just said, we're done. Like we're, we are absolutely done here. And, you know, I want you not there when I get home. And, um, you know, it took a while for that to unravel, but that was a moment where I was like, you know what, 
this case kind of, of really uh, brought to light for me that life is short, that this is not the kind of person I want to have as, as an example to my daughters and what I was settling mm-hmm. for. And there was just a lot of awarenesses that came out of, of that case. And so I look at uh, you know, even though it was a, a tragic case, I also look in some ways that uh, Danielle, who was the little girl, that she saved my life and my perspective uh, in in what happened in that. Oh, wow. I got a chill when you said that, that everything stopped. Mm-hmm. You had that moment of clarity that was like, wow, this is not okay. What's happening here in this conversation is not okay. And I'm dealing with this incredible grief of my friend sitting next to me. And all you can think about is your dinner's not being made. Like <laughs> my language would not have been as kind as yours, <laughs> but um, I love that. I got a chill when you said that, Diane, when you, um, when you said that about the, the Danielle being part of that life change, my guess is that that's not the only life that she changed in that grief. Um, and there's, there's no way to, to recover from the loss of a child or from that kind of grief. Um, there are ways though, to learn from it and choose life in a different way as a result of it. I'm such a huge believer in that. So afterward, um, because you had to shut down your own empathy, you had to turn on your your detective mode and turn off your friend mode in some ways. What happened after? So uh, it, it came to pass that it was uh, the neighbor who had been stalking her, who was the person who actually took her. Uh, and the thing that, you know, really rocked, I think the community was, you know, they had a dog, they had an alarm, you know, the, the father was home with one, you know, several of the other children. And to think that your child can be taken out of your home under those circumstances uh, is, is challenging in and of itself. Cause you think that there's certain things that, that protect you, right. And, and your family, you don't have these things that are expected. And so there was this year long of, of trials and a media and just, you know, you can just think of not only the grief of the loss of a child, uh, but just the wear and tear of, of a family, of a community, of, of just the exhaustion that comes out of that. And at the end of that trial, and he, he was convicted and, and he is uh, still locked up to this day, uh, there was uh, someone who wanted to do something uh, good for the mother, for myself, uh, for you know one of the other ladies that that had helped uh, in in the team, and had donated for us to go to a place called Canyon Ranch in Tucson, uh, Arizona, uh, for a week. And I had never been to a place like this before. And That's one of the Ah, right. That's one of the things that, that come up. And one of the things that I noticed the most about being there and what transformed over that week was the experiences that we had on every level of self-care from the, you know, healthy, nutritious food that was there, the beauty of the property and the artwork that was there, the hiking and nourishing of, of being able to be out in nature and to move our body and to have body work done and to get, you know, finally some, some deeper restful sleep that was happening there. And when you take care of all the different aspects of, of your mind, body, and spirit in the evenings, there was this kind of 
quietness where we connected with some of the other people. And there was this clarity where you could have some really deep conversations. And uh, the mother, Brenda, was talking about, I know something positive has to come out of the death of Danielle. I can't, uh, one, I I know this is going to be the hardest thing to live with of just not having her. I mean, she was seven, taken so early. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there has to be something good that comes of this. And we started having these conversations around her doing some legislation and having some awareness for other parents and have some quicker responses and some things in place. And it was through those conversations and her connecting uh, with some political people and having further conversations that things like Amber Law came into place where Mm -hmm. people, you know, would be alerted by license plates because she was actually, uh, Danielle was taken out of the neighborhood um, in a vehicle. And so these type of things, because of those conversations, you know, now there are some things in place that other children have been discovered uh, sooner and that there are some positive things that came out of this uh, that wouldn't have come in place if, if this didn't happen. And when I had left and spoke with one of my mentors and he had asked me, he's like, you know, you know, this is, this is a major life change, right? There's not only are you leaving uh, the police department. Uh, but you know, you, there's this big case, you know, this had this impact, you know, if you could do anything in your life, what would you be doing? And I just immediately came out of my mouth that I'd, I'd live the spa life. And that became the name of my business was spa life. And there was an evolution around that where I said, you know, it's not just about having a massage. It's about really nourishing all the aspects of who you are so that you can come out on the other end with some clarity. And it later became defined that the SPA and spa life was for seek power always. So it was that power within you, right? And so it was trusting your intuition. It was really about, you know, having the resources to live that life where you had, you know, accomplishment and harmony. It was how do you bring all of these things together to have the impact that you truly want to have? Mm. The spa life. Of course, my immediate thought was massage. <laughs> like, oh, that's part of massage. it. I need one of those. <laughs> you know, what, what keeps popping back into my head is this whole idea that when we take that time, when we give that gift to ourselves and to others of um, sending somebody for this kind of time, even one week, even three days can make the difference between allowing that grief to process and not. I immediately thought of when you said it was a week, I remembered um, the Jewish tradition of uh, sitting Shiva, which means that as soon as the person dies, you um, close all the shades of your windows and you cover up the mirrors and you spend a full week just Um, having people come to you and deliver food and pray with you and hold your hand. And um, it's a full year of of grieving of Shiva where you are wearing black. Um, It's not the full year that you you have everything covered and you don't do anything. But the whole idea is to give yourself that time to grieve because in our current environment, we just move on. And then three months later, three years later, we still haven't processed it and it just sits in our bones. And um, I love that this was kind of this happenstance that the three of you were gifted this week together in a place where you could 
process, fully process that grief and decide with intention how you're going to come out of it. Right. That's just amazing, Diane. Like what an amazing story. So when, when you talk about the spa life, um, seeking power always, tell me generally what that means for your work. Like what is, what is the gift or the service that you provide when you're doing that business? Yeah. So a lot of what uh, came uh, into being with uh, the, the work I do is, is in consulting and training actually came from my undercover work. So I, I worked patrol. So I did 911, you know, answered the calls, been in thousands of homes and, and been exposed to a lot of different circumstances. Uh, but a big part of my work is that I worked undercover uh, as a prostitute hunting a serial killer. And that was because the serial killer of the, of the time uh, was targeting prostitutes. And they tend to do that because, you know, they are either runaways or they have, you know, weak family ties and they don't get reported as soon. So prostitutes are a pretty big target um, for that. And part of working uh, undercover is that when we arrest as many people um, associated, we don't necessarily care who's sleeping with who. That's not the aspect because a lot of times we hear like, why are you guys focusing on prostitution? That's, you know, a victimless crime. And, and, uh, you know, right. Right. Well, what people mm. understand is the what surrounds prostitution. Uh, a lot of people who come out of jail on, on parole, people who are in gangs that are associated, there's a lot of crime that happens in and around prostitution. So the more people that we arrest uh, in association with prostitution, we can put them to a time and place. So if there's a robbery within the, you know, the block or there's something else happening, we can tie these things together. Uh, not only if it you know, is part of the, the serial killer, but also other crime and things that, that are happening. So one of the things that was just a um, kind of a, a big awareness, right? I mean, I had training in, in the police work, but I had no idea about the, the world of prostitution. I mean, I grew up in, in a very you know, middle-class family. I had 12 years of Catholic school. I had no idea these kind of things were happening. And I think I entertained our detective unit because they were having to explain, okay, how much do I charge something? And what is that? And people pay for that. And there was just so many questions and, and things out there to have as an understanding. But one of the things, you know, when you work undercover, you don't have all of the protections that you have in as uniform patrol. You don't have a bulletproof vest. You don't have a gun. You don't have a radio. You are literally virtually naked out there. We are relying on other people who are watching you to be able to uh, guide you that, you know, we can have signals to each other and, and see what's going on. And it was during that type of work that I was able to really develop my own intuition, right. About what was, mm. what was happening in front of me to trust that, to build my confidence in that and the language around being able to articulate and have situational awareness around, you know, what, what was happening and to be able to make quicker decisions. And for me on the street, that became a life or death type situation because there were times where I actually didn't stop a person because there was something in my intuition that said not to. In fact, there was a particular time where I actually gave the signal to my team because all the hairs on you know my, my neck mm -hmm. and arms were up around this and I had to listen to that. And when I did, I had the officers stop this car a couple blocks away and come to find out this person was a 1035, which was a armed and dangerous, you know, uh, felon and, uh, had actual gun in the car. And, you know, 
it was safer for that for a a stop to be made away and not to blow my cover as well, right? So you have to make some of these decisions around what's best for you know my personal safety, the safety of people around me, and to listen to those kind of decisions. So it was those kinds of um, basically on the job, life threatening type situations that I started having uh, business leaders, particularly women who uh, wanted to build those skills. They wanted to be able to make quicker decisions to not second guess themselves. And when there are critical decisions to be made, you have to trust yourself, right? You have to go with what is your knowing in that time Yes, you gather knowledge and you you have advisors and you've got people, but when it comes down to actually making that decision, you've got to trust that you've got everything that you need to be able to make that. So mm-hmm. that was how I had transitioned in utilizing that work into helping business leaders to be able to make those quicker decisions, to have more confidence and, and courage mm-hmm. and, and to actually pull the trigger in, in a metaphorical way in their business right. to uh, move themselves forward. So what you're saying is that you you are guiding people to improve their situational awareness to a certain extent and their internal awareness of what they need and what they have in terms of resources to make decisions. Absolutely. Ah, that's really cool. That's really cool. I just I think about how um, so many of us develop situational awareness through trial and error. And yet there are so many people that you can see walking around that are totally unaware of their surroundings. They're just oblivious. And I remember um, when we took our boys to Europe for the first time, we were so fortunate to get this opportunity to go spend two weeks in Europe. One of the weeks was in Tuscany. And the next week was, and that was with my husband's family and they, they helped us pay for this, which is why we were able to do it. Cause things were, you know, little kids, we were tight, money was tight. Anyway, I remember when we were getting ready to go and I had the boys pack, um, nice walking shoes, like hush puppy style, nice walking shoes. And we went to the store and bought pairs of khaki pants and button down short sleeve shirts so that we would look like the Europeans that we were visiting. Um, and I, the boys were like, why can't we just wear jeans and shorts? And I would say, we don't want to be targets. We don't want to look like we don't fit in here so that we look like we're unaware of our surroundings. Cause that's what that looks like. Right. And I remember vividly, we talked a lot about not being a target about situational awareness. Cause I knew we were going to be in Rome and Vatican city is notorious for, for theft. Right. Um, and I had this uh, Max was only eight years old and gorgeous. So <laughs> I wanted him to be situationally aware. Both boys are, you know, attractive, clean, handsome boys. And I know what happens. You know, I, I, I get it. I lived in LA for a few years. I lived in DC. I, I get it. So we were highly aware, but I remember this one moment where we're sitting in, a, a, in an outdoor area at a restaurant in a square in Rome. And our younger son was watching these people walk across the square. And I asked him what he was watching. And he said, those targets over there. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, Max? What targets? He said, those people over there, they look like targets. That guy, he has his camera right in front of his chest. He's um, he's wearing socks and sandals. <laughs> and his wife's purse is just slung over her shoulder 
And I'm watching all of these people watching them. So he wasn't just watching the targets that he was sure were either German or Canadian because of how they looked. He said, um, but what he was really watching was the other people watching them, knowing that they were targets. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, it's amazing when we have this awareness and a lot of times things happen and then people just out of experience, right. They, they kind of up-level some of their skills, but there's so many things that you can learn and do, you know, before these things happen. And I know uh, when I worked a uh, patrol, you know, I answered uh, a lot of uh, a rape calls, right. And a lot of times they would call for a female officer uh, you know, for, for many reasons, uh, for, for that report taking and that connection with the victim and, and those type of things that, that would happen. And one of the things that seemed to uncover in almost every single case was that before the woman was raped, she had a sense within herself that she was either in danger or that there was something that alerted her in her intuition Mm -hmm. that she ignored either because it felt like, um, you know, she didn't want to have a friend go with her to the bathroom or I'm overreacting, right? There's all these justifications uh, that can happen within a person. And it's not to blame that person, but it's actually to have them evolve out of identifying themselves as a victim. Cause we can all kind of have victim experiences, but Mm -hmm. it's when you identify yourself as a victim is when you continue to be a target in that area. So you want to be able to learn from that and trust to listen to that inner knowing. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it can be an embarrassing situation or somebody else feels uncomfortable or something's going on, you have to really look at what can I do to protect myself in the moment to get through certain things. And that's the kind of things that are, are, allow you to be able to build your confidence and your courage to move Mm -hmm. through tough things, right? You need to have kind of build up those kind of, of resilience type things to have that. And when we don't have that situational awareness, or we don't listen to ourselves, I mean, how many times have have been situations where you're like, I knew that, right. I knew something, (laughs) right. That, that, right. Then you're kicking yourself. Yeah. And you're kicking yourself. I knew, why didn't I listen to myself? Right. Yeah. It's, and, you know, I think it happens at a very young age when people second guess you and it makes you second guess yourself. Right. And I, I have seen that happen so many times in, in my coaching clients where they're like, well, I just don't trust my instincts. I'm like, let's, let's unpack that. Let's, I hate that phrase. Let's unpack that. But at the same time, it does. It feels like luggage, right? They're carrying around this baggage with them. So I would like to open that up. Let's unzip that. And see what's hiding in there in terms of the stories. So I'm curious, um, kind of as a full circle conversation, when you think about a moment that you didn't trust your instincts and something happened, um, how did you move past that to decide that you didn't need to beat yourself up over it, that this is something that you were going to learn from? Do you remember a particular moment like that, a story? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that uh, in that unhealthy relationship I was talking about, that I had um, I had been divorced and a single parent for for you know several years, and I really wanted to build another family, and I really wanted to kind of do whatever it takes because I looked at did I do do did I do enough to. Um, you know, keep my original family intact. Is there, you know, what was my part in that? Uh, I didn't want to have that happen again. 
And one of the things is when I was in, you know, early on in relationship um, with this person, there were clues, right? There were things that were there that this wasn't uh, the best choice, right? There were things that um, there was a lot of, of narcissistic behavior. There was a lot of controlling behavior. There were a lot of things that I didn't listen to early on that I mitigated, that I basically said like, oh, you know, he had a stressful day or there was, um, that's not that big a deal. And, and didn't we have a great family vacation? And and just, you know, the number of, of years that I was in this relationship, just trying to force and make it work when I knew that it wasn't the best thing. And it, it took the case with Danielle to be like, enough is enough, mm -hmm. right? Life is mm -hmm. short. I don't want this for my children. This is not a good example for them. It's not good for me. There were tolerations that were in there. And for a long time, I kind of beat myself up going, you know, I, I was a police officer. Like I, I was in, you know, anywhere from domestic violence to, you know, all kinds of of, you know, arguments and, and to be the person to call, to be able to recognize these things and to not be able to recognize it in my own situation to the point to make a decision to do different. Like I recognize these things, but I didn't see them as bad enough. Right. Or that right. It was they weren't deal breakers enough. Right. right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did go through a period of time where I was just like, oh my God, like, why did I let this go on as long as I did? Why didn't, you know, uh, I see this and, and I know some of the reasons and justifications I had around it. Uh, but one of the things I looked at is, okay, what were the good things that came out of this? Because I absolutely believe things are presented to us to learn from them, to have some awarenesses and not get stuck in the aspects of, of that second guessing, right? And that's where we get into those loops of not trusting our intuition because mm -hmm. we've got scenarios where, you know, it, we didn't make good choices. And so we can get stuck in that loop of not trusting ourselves. Yeah. So I, had I don't make good that. choices. Yeah. I've, right. I've heard that so many times. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, you have to shift that around and say, okay, that maybe wasn't a good choice, but you have to be able to then discover what were some of the good choices that you made and what were some good things that did come out of that? And, you know, what did you learn from that? And so, you know, those become the, um, the arsenal of, of your life experiences and things that you're able to then, uh, as a, as a, as a coach trainer or, or consultant to be able to, to give people those insights to go, okay, I'm here to see the things that you're not seeing. I'm here to help you look at the things that are your blind spots, right? Because we all have blind right. spots, right? And these the, are the things right. we want to be able the, to help people with mm -hmm. the things that your mother and your sister can't tell you because you're not going to listen to them. But an outside coach, you yes. might actually listen to. I, that's what I, somebody said, well, why would I pay you? I have my, my best friend to talk to. And I said, okay. Um, but if she tells you that this guy isn't right for you, are you going to listen? Right. Right. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I, I tell my clients is that people lead uh, three different lives. You have your public life that everybody, everybody knows about, right? You've got your private life. That's what you tell your best friend and your family and some of your close people, but everyone has an undercover life. There's an aspect that you internal right. about that you don't want to share. You hope people don't find out about, right? And so you make mm -hmm. some decisions from some of, of the thought processes that come from this undercover life. And it takes someone like your, your coach or your consultant that you can 
trust, right? You want to make sure you, you trust that person that you can unpack those kind of things so that you're not mm-hmm. making decisions from that undercover life, that you're going more into the authentic life of who you are and utilizing those things for tools to actually strengthen yourself mm-hmm. and to be able to not hide behind those things, to actually expose them so that you can learn from them and you can move forward from them and not have you have those things keep you stuck in your, in your life and your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love how you just put that. It's, it makes it so clear that uh, you called undercover life. I think about the internal dialogue that no one else can hear. And it's the one that tells you that you make shitty decisions or the, the, the one that tells you, oh, that was a good choice, even though you know it wasn't because you're rationalizing it. That the internal dialogue that can be great and it can be horrible at the same time. <laughs> so I just, I want to come back, just swing back one more time to this decision to leave that that former relationship, because I think you've probably leaned into this um, method or strategy many times, but this is the one. There are at least three times you mentioned, this is not what I want for my children. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that, that moment where you realize I am modeling the wrong things for my daughter. Right. Right. Well, you know, my daughters were used to seeing me, especially, you know, as, as a police officer and then as, as a single parent. And, you know, I, I worked a, a lot of overtime to be able to do my mortgage payment and, and do these things to, to help them have a, a better life. And when, you know, they could see that I would get into, you know, arguments with this person, they would see that there, I could tell that they would see when there was irrational conversations that were happening and that there were decisions that were being made to kind of keep the peace versus actually standing up for myself. And, you know, when I think children see some of these things over, they don't see some of the reasons that you're making these, they just see what you're doing, right? It's kind of that, right. that whole, you know, you can say things and then they can see the actions that you're doing. So for me, it was more about the actions that they were seeing. And I could tell that there were things coming up where my daughters were building, um, you know, some resentments, some uh, lack of trust for men. Um, some, you know, I'm, I'm sure on some levels, some lack of respect for me, uh, in going like, why is my mom who can do all these things in other areas that this is her kryptonite, right? This is an area that, that she's not making great decisions in. And so it, it took that full circle moment as well for me to have a conversation where I actually had talked to them about, you know, they, they, of course, were, were happy that I had ended that relationship, but I had some conversations with them at, at different stages of their life of, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to be a learning moment for you to both trust yourself and to, you know, learn from, from mistakes that I made and to make different decisions and to have someone, whether it's, you can talk to me about it or your friends or someone else. Um, to really uh, make those decisions with what's best for you, 
right? And that's in alignment with your own integrity and your own truth. And I think those are some of the the best lessons that we can do for our children is that there can there can't be that expectation to be perfect, right? We're not always going to make the best decisions and and anyone on the outside who hasn't walked your shoes could say like, "Oh, well, I've made it would have made this decision or this would have happened or or you know any of that." But, you know, those life choices that we make, we don't always see them when we're in it right? It's till we get that perspective or there's mm-hmm. something that shifts or changes the, the hope and the intention is that you're going to learn from them and that you're not going to continue to make them, but you have to be able to recognize it in order to make the changes around that. And I think that those are the things that, you know, as you know, our children don't come with uh, operational menu, you know, manuals that, you know, if you have multiple children, they uh, can be very different. Right. And those are some mm-hmm. of the things I learned too, is, is, you know, parenting my children differently. I always thought, oh, you need to parent them the same to be fair. Right. Well, that's not the case, right? (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Those were things I learned along the way as well, is that they assimilated things uh, differently. Uh, And this is why you can have multiple children in a home and some people can be traumatized by things and other children are like, oh, that was no big deal. It was fine. It actually gave them the fuel to succeed in something, right? So Mm -hmm. how we internalize the stories, right? How we Mm -hmm. look at the impact of things that happen in our lives. Those are some of the trajectories that happen in the decisions we make and what we do. And at some point in our life, we need to be able to unpack those things so that our children can learn from them, that they can make decisions knowing the full picture, Mm -hmm. not just through the eyes as, as a child, but what were some of the things that you experienced and, and being vulnerable to be able to share some of those things. You just said it exactly right, to be vulnerable to share these things. I, I know that our children benefit from us having these frank discussions with them of, I've made a mistake. This was, this was not a good idea. This is what I learned from it. And this is why I um, am sharing it with you because I know you, you saw me do that. Um, I think not enough of us have those conversations with our kids, acknowledge that we did something wrong, apologize to them when we do something or say something that hurts their feelings, and yet still be a parent. You know, um, I just had this conversation with another friend of mine about accessing that part of our relationship with our children, which is, I made a mistake. I want to hear what you think of it. I want to hear what you saw and why you think it might have been a mistake. because their perspective of it is totally different because they don't they don't hear your internal dialogue they are only seeing what's going on as you mentioned so i love that and i so appreciate that part of the story that you had these conversations with your daughters because if we don't acknowledge those things then we can't we don't have what you mentioned that um i call it evidence that we have the the resources and the instincts to make better choices in the future. You have all this evidence now and um, the stories, ammunition, if you will, um, to to counter or contradict that internal message that wants you to stay small and not hold your power and find it. So, oh, I just love that. I love that you talk to your daughters like that. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> So, uh, and that happened in stages, right? You know, I me, mean, of course, <laughs> you know, it's a process. Well, yeah, because there are so many times where you start these conversations and you end up talking at them and then they shut you down because you're talking at them. So you have to 
regroup and go back and figure out kind of what messaging is going to work for each child, maybe pull them aside separately because they learn so differently from each other. And yeah, of course, it's a process. Everything is. And even acknowledging our role in the damage or the, the situation is a process. So I hear that. Boy, do I hear that. <laughs> so I'd love to hear um, just one more aha moment from you. Um, this is part of what makes you such a good coach is this ability to take your past experiences and um, acknowledge them and then help guide people to see their own blind spots because you, you can see yours. And I think it's all a, a matter of self-reflection. So when you think about um, a recent coaching client that you walked away going, yes, where you felt like you used all of your experience, all the tools, you applied your life's lessons to um, make a difference, make an impact in this person's life. Because we all know that it's not just that one person. It's the barista they interact with later on. It's their kids. It's their parents. It's everyone they work with. Um, so what do you think? Do you have that kind of story to share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have uh, a, a client who I've had for for many years, and you know, she is uh, very successful on on so many different levels. She's got a multi million dollar company. You know, many employees, and you know, she for the most part knows what she wants for her company and where she wants to go. And part of our conversations are around her being the visionary of her company, about really being outside of her business to see what the other people in the business aren't necessarily seeing. And it can be really challenging as a business owner to not be in the weeds, right? To want to be able to, you know, especially in the beginning when you did do everything, right? To be able to step back and uh, be able to, uh, you know, trust your people and to have them make some of the decisions and to make sure that it's in alignment with your, your cultural values, right? And the things that, that you want to have and keep that perspective. And that's part of that accountability um, with her is one of the reasons that I'm her consultant is that I see things she doesn't see, right? So I'm that another set of eyes for her to be able to see, hey, look at, look at just this one person in your company how much they impact in a negative way so many other people in the company, right? And so it's not just about having people in your company, but are they in the right position in your company and how are they influencing everyone else and how is it working as a whole? So we've worked a lot on her trusting what she knows and not just going along to go along because part of her wants you know everyone in the company to like her. And right. that's not necessarily the position for the person who's the visionary is that you've got to be able to make those, those tough calls and those tough decisions. So being able to share with her that, you know, you know, the, the, what you want for this company, that you have to be able to trust that intuition and you've got to be able to make these decisions quicker as well so that people understand, Hey, this is, we're, we can get behind you because we know that you've got our best interest at heart and you're making some of the tough calls so that we all can move forward. And so mm -hmm. being able to help her to build that, that confidence and that courage in the areas that she doesn't always feel that way where, cause mm -hmm. a lot of times it's 90% our, our leaders are just knocking it out of the park. Like they're doing great things, but it's a lot of times in that five to 10% that can sabotage everything else that you've done. 
and to have someone to help you be aware of those areas so that those don't take out your bigger visions and what you want for the company um, is, is an important person to have in as an asset with you um, to make those tough calls. Mm, agree. Totally agree. And this actually comes back to the application of um, how you know these things. When you said you want your daughters to know that they can talk to you or to someone else, that caught my attention because I know that some parents have a hard time um, recognizing, embracing the value of um, other adults in your children's lives to be resources for them. I'm a big believer in it, in having a community help raise my children. And I think it's part of why they're such great young adults now is because they have always had other resources because they're not always going to come to you. Right. They, you can't expect them. There are things that I didn't go to my mother and we're very close, but um, sometimes you need that external dialogue with somebody who isn't necessarily connected directly to the outcomes of your decisions or, you know, your stakeholders. So I love that you say that because it's the direct application here. When you're talking to an executive and they, they need somebody to share these ideas with, to see their blind spots, someone who is unaffected by the outcomes of their decisions so that they know they're coming from a place of understanding the deeper vision and the broader vision for that person and their business and their lives, their relationships. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Very cool. So um, if you had an opportunity to share a bit of wisdom um, or potentially a theme song for our listeners, what would that be as we wrap up and you want people to know something about you and about um, your impact? Hmm. Well, I would say that one of the things I always tell my clients is that you are your own power. That power does, is not something that happens outside of you, that you are it, that it is within you and to trust it, right? And that the, those first gut things that come to you, they're important. They show up for a reason and to be able to listen to that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So what's your theme song? My friend, Neil Hughes, who does a tech podcast He's been asking his guests what their theme song is. So I just have to ask you because I'm thinking about it. Hmm. So funny when you think about like when you listen to, to songs, right? You have so many different songs that, that you listen to mm -hmm. and, and to have one that that just like pops out at you is like, uh, gosh, that's a. Well, I'll give you mine. I'll give okay. you one of mine. I have three or four that I use. I call on when I need a theme song. <laughs> so for instance, when I need um, to be powerful speaking or singing for performance, sometimes I'll have the, I'll have, I feel good. Da -na 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 -na. I knew that I would, I'll have that in my head, James Brown. Um, but then there are other times where I just want a, a, an internal power feeling really positive and engaged. And I'll have Etta James feeling good birds flying high you know how i feel you know that one yeah yeah you know so, when, I, when you were saying that one of the things that it, it, it's an old school song uh but freedom by uh george michael you know yes. that is always one of those things that it was just like you know 
especially now in this time and age where it feels like you know, a lot of freedoms are slipping or people are giving them away to, to just know like what you can be as expansive as you want to have. And, and freedom is something that you actually have to claim. And so songs like that, you know, really just kind of reiterate, like, what do you stand for? You know, what, what are you willing to do for your freedom and who are you? And those are the kind of things I, that's one of the things I love about music is like the words and certain phrases will just call out at you. And I don't always know the name of a song, but like, there'll be certain phrases where it's like, yeah, right. That's just yeah. like the, the strength that you have. <laughs> I can own this. Right. Own, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that freedom. George Michael. Gosh, I loved his music mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the eighties. Oh my goodness. That just brought back a whole playlist in my head from the eighties. Diane, this has been such a pleasure. I, I sincerely appreciate the time that you've taken to chat with me, to share your stories, to dig deep and really think about that impact of your words. Um, I appreciate you. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's my pleasure being here, Sarah. And for our listeners, um, I will have links to Diane's website, to a few other ways for you to get in touch with her, to follow up. And I might just embed a few theme songs on the blog post associated with this podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you. Thank you.